Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Near and Queer to My Heart podcast. I'm your host, Amanda G. Hope everybody's doing well or as well as can be. I know things are tough right now and we're all just trying to do our best. And that's why we are trying to work hard to keep bringing you podcast episodes. We know how important our community is and we're going to do our best to, to stay connected and keep connected. And that's why I was so excited when we got this next guest to agree to do the podcast because Nathan Lane Bryant is just one of those people that when you're around him, you can't help but laugh and smile and be happy and feel positive and feel like everything's going to be okay because that's just who Nathan is. Nathan is a draguate of the New Orleans Drag Workshop. Uh, Nathan has been part of the Greetings from Queer Mountain show in New Orleans. Nathan has hosted and produced his own drag shows in New Orleans, and hopefully soon we'll get back to that. We're very much looking forward to bringing this episode to you. Before we do, we'd like to give a shout out to our sponsor, Gaston Luga. They are a Swedish company that makes literally the best backpacks you've ever seen had touched in your life, especially right now. I know last episode I mentioned I take my backpack to the grocery store. I walk in, I fill it up, I check out, and then I can walk home with it. And it's comfortable and it's easy to use. And look, it just looks cooler than grocery bags. Not going to lie. We have a special discount code, near and queer, all one word. It'll get you 15% off anything at Gaston Luga. So go to gastonluga.com, G-A-S-T-O-N-L-U-G-A.com. Right now, let's check out this podcast episode, our first post-COVID episode. Let's welcome Nathan Lane Bryant. How are you doing? surprisingly well considering I'm a very I'm an extrovert I'm a very social person I love performing I'm generally you know out and about and you know not being able to do those things in the way that I'm used to I thought would put me in a really bad headspace but I think being aware of that at the same time has really like helped kind of you know keep me okay for now also telling myself like this is this is temporary maybe longer than I originally thought, but it's still hopefully not going to be like this forever. And I need to keep that in mind. For sure. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. I it's some days are better than others. You know, I'm trying to be really kind with myself when it's not a great day, because I know that this is temporary. So even sometimes when I have a bad day, I feel like such a baby about it. So just trying to be gentle with myself and like also people around me because People are just responding however they need to, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. Have you been having weird COVID dreams? So I was. I don't feel like I have for like a week, which is interesting. I know other people are having different kinds. I've been having dreams about people that were in my life like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, that for whatever reason are popping up in my dreams, but not my life. I get it when like I'm looking at Facebook and I fall asleep and I just read somebody's post and then I have a dream that they're in. But right. these are people that like, I just, I don't know, my brain just goes there. Um, and then I wake up and I will text them or call them or Zoom with them. And it's it's helping me. I'm like reconnecting with people. That's really lovely. <laughs> in, a, in a weird way. I'm like, well, this dream has to be telling me something. I maybe right. I should check in on that. Everyone's been okay. And they're, they're like happy to hear from me. And it's good to, you know, it's somebody like my college roommate I had a dream about. Right. You know, I haven't seen her since her wedding a couple years back and, you know, now she's got two kids and she's apparently she bought a house at this very interesting time right before all this stuff started. So yeah, I'm kind of I will say that like, I'm kind of loving checking in with people that part of it. And also, 
I feel like I get to be more intentional with my time with people, which is nice, you know, instead of like seeing people at a bar, I like am able to FaceTime with them, you know, which feels really nice. Yeah. And it's good too to have a one-on-one time with people. Like if you're at a bar and you're doing a show, which, you know, we'll, we'll get to, you, you do drag and you know, I see you out at, at shows, watching shows as part of shows. And I know when we're out, especially, you know, at the Always Lounge, for example, which we both love. It's just even in conversation, if I'm talking with you, someone else will come up like you got to go backstage, you know, whatever's going on. So now we can focus and just especially when you're FaceTiming, you're not also watching TV. You're not also checking texts or whatever. Like you're just having this conversation in this moment in a way that we haven't societally been really doing in a long time. I know for sure. I think it's lovely. And it's also given me a chance to connect with people over FaceTime that I might not typically. So, but yeah, I feel that about being at a show, especially like if I've had a couple drinks or they've had a couple drinks and there's just so much noise it's nice to actually check in with people and see, and especially right now, I feel like even though we're just saying like, well, I'm doing okay, I have good days and bad days, it's it's nice to connect. Yeah. How do you feel creatively right now? And what are you doing to keep that creativity going? Yeah, so I think that creatively, with drag specifically, I never, I'm, what's happening right now is what happens when we're not in like social isolation mode. So I know people right now who are really leaning on drag and who are coming up with all of these ideas and have all these ideas rolling around in their head. And, but that's kind of, I think what happens to them typically. And what's happening to me is not is what happens to me typically as well, which is I really admire people who have like five or six ideas going. I'll just like, for instance, I will kind of beat myself up and be like, I'm in a creative slump. I'm not ever going to think of something interesting ever again. And then I'll hear a song and then I'll start the idea starts to form. But I, I get like a little bit anxious about these droughts. I don't know, like with the first cyber distancing, which which I'm so grateful for. And I'm so grateful that people are able to create and perform on that platform. I messaged Taryn Laveau and was like, I'd like to watch this show. You know, I didn't have any ideas. And then I heard that Beach Boys song that uh, Don't Worry Baby. And I was sitting on my porch working and that came on my Spotify. And I thought about Nathan Lane Bryant singing it. And I like cried about it. And I emailed them immediately and was like, okay, I have an idea. It was past the deadline. I was like, I have this idea. I do want to do it. Let's move forward. But I'm not a person who just has a lot of ideas working at once. I have to, something has to come across my way. So Cyber Distancing was uh, an online, uh, it is still, they're still doing shows. It's Laveau Contraire and Tarot Cards and the New Orleans drag community are doing online drag shows called Cyber Distancing and they're fantastic. And I and I saw the premiere of that. I've seen it a few times. They've played it a, a couple of times. I loved that video. The, the, what I loved about that video, I loved a lot of things about it. First of all, the shirt reveal, amazing. <laughs> um, the fact that it was filmed in what looked like one take and if it wasn't one take, then he did a great job with the editing. Um, yeah, it was one take and it had to be because I hot glued all those shirts together and they couldn't be re-hot glued. I was like, how many corn dogs <laughs> are going to come out of pockets for this? <laughs> uh, but I mean, what I, what I loved about that though is it's like, okay, so we're limited right now in our capacity because we can't, you can't have a full set of people. Uh, we can't go to locations. Um, we can't access, you know, certain materials that we would need. So it's forcing us to be creative within what we have. And I really that really came through it in your in your video. Thank you. Yeah, it was really nice in that moment to have something to work on. I get very excited and kind of I get a little bit obsessive about these performances. And so I get for that one, for instance, I I figured out what I wanted to do. And we did it in one take. And I loved it. And I remember like watching it back just out on the street, my friend air dropped it to me. And I was watching it and I was like, yeah, I see some minor mistakes, but it doesn't matter. It's perfect. I love it. I love everything about it. 
And then later that night I went back and looked at it and I was like, I hate this. And I dropped the <laughs> lipstick here and like, that's stupid and that's stupid. And everyone's going to watch this and realize I'm a fraud and that'll be the end of it. <laughs> and that so. wasn't the case. No, <laughs> the other thing I loved was, and uh, we'll put it on our, uh, if I can figure out how to do it, we'll put it on our Facebook and Instagram, you know, so other folks can check it out. But I love that you were, you looked so happy to be doing it. Yeah. Didn't know this would happen for me when I started doing drag, but there are elements of my character, obviously, that sometimes I say, like, Nathan Lane Bryan and I, Megan Murphy, are, like, the same person, but they aren't. When I filmed it, I was so happy, and I was in a really bummed out place before filming it, and I remember the day before we did a run-through just because I wanted to see what it would look like, so we did a run through and I thought how am I gonna like pretend to be joyful how am I gonna pretend to be this character but then when I put on my makeup and when I became him it just happened and it was it's like it's magic so I felt very joyful in that moment definitely came across so I was glad to see that and also the other thing I'm learning is I'm, I'm trying to do online stuff is it takes like I tell people uh Last Wednesday, my girlfriend and I did a video. It's like, it was like two and a half minutes and it took us like five hours to do the video, edit it. I, I put the little uh, captions on because, you know, when people are scrolling, if it doesn't have the captions, they might not even look at it. And I was just like, yeah, this it was fun. And I, I the video was well received. I had a great time making it, but it's like, wow, this took like five hours to do. Right. Yeah. It takes a long time. And it also... I think that being in front of everyone's like, is this going to be the new way we perform? And my neighbors who I love and they love to be in bed by nine are like very hopeful that they're going to be able to watch dragon comedy, like in their pajamas for the rest of their lives. I really miss having an audience in front of me. Like, I don't know if you felt this, but like just the immediate reaction from the audience and being able to like sort of pivot or keep doing what you're doing is really helpful to me. I'm a person who I think needs instant gratification. I need to know. Yeah. You know, everyone always says like, oh, comedy is so different because we need the audience. Um, because like if I tell a joke, I know if it's good, if it relates to people, if I hear that feedback right away versus, you know, I've done a few Facebook shows where you get likes and hearts and people are commenting while you're trying to talk. So it's it's not the same. But I think drag has that aspect, too, because there's a certain energy that you're giving out that the audience is giving to you that you're vibing off each other that you know, you you need like, yeah, you could still do your performance. I could still do my stand up, too. It's just not the same. It's a different vibe without an audience. A hundred percent. And it's nice afterward for people to say, I mean, it's wonderful, right? For people to relate to what you put out, but I miss that relationship in the moment. I miss being able to have that, that connection with people in the moment. Yeah. And um, so one thing that I, I've wanted to ask is when I first met you, you weren't doing drag, you, but you were a fan. Like you were a genuine fan of the New Orleans drag scene. You know, I'd always see you at shows. You were always just so happy to be there. And so you could tell you connected with, the, you know, the performers and what they were doing. So for you, was drag something you always saw yourself doing or was it this gradual, you know, once you had the appreciation, you're like, maybe I'll take the drag workshop and and see what this is about and see if it's my vibe. So, no, I probably, I don't think that I'd seen drag. I mean, other than like, as depicted, like you could say, like Mrs. Doubtfire's drag, right? I don't feel like I'd ever even really seen drag until I moved to New Orleans. And that might be wrong, but I didn't watch Drag Race until this year, actually. So I became like a huge fan of local drag is what happened. And it happened at Miss Pageant, Pageant, probably 2017. So I had seen some local drag. I live really close to Rampart and there were some shows happening on Rampart, which I'd go to. But my friend Carrie and I had a friend who was helping out with pageant and we went to the show and two things happened there I, I mean a thousand things happened there right but um <laughs> I saw Napoleon Complex and that was for sure the first depiction of a drag king I'd ever seen and I was blown away I was like so excited to see Napoleon and I loved their character and it was really good performance and there were a bunch of people who were really incredible that year but that was the year Frankie won oh I feel a little bit emotional my friend and I didn't have tickets so we were standing like 
by a trash can, like as close as we could. And we actually got up, we were able to stand on the benches, which probably we shouldn't have been, but we wanted to see this performance from Frankie and we just stood and at the end just stared at each other with tears rolling down our faces. It was the most, it's still one of the most impactful performances I've ever seen. And I loved it so much. And I made Frankie become my friend. I didn't make (laughs) Frankie become my friend, but I was like, I think you're the coolest human being in the world. (laughs) Frankie's wonderful on and off stage. So that was a smart move (laughs) to be like this. (laughs) This person's going to be my friend. (laughs) I think I'm going to be friends with this person now. (laughs) So then I decided that I, I think, I mean, that night I told my friend Carrie, like, I really want to do this. This is incredible. And it's funny as a queer person that drag had never connected with me, but I just, it really hadn't come into my purview. And so I very soon after became friends with Didi Onassis. And I remember telling them that I wanted to do it. And I just talked about it for like however many cycles, like three cycles probably. And there was always a reason I couldn't do it. And I was working full time as a therapist then. And that just took up a lot of brain space. And then when my cycle came along, cycle nine, I wanted to do it but I was like really terrified and because I wasn't a drama kid I wasn't I wrote a lot in high school but I didn't do I had never done anything on stage and so I had a lot of fears around that and didn't know if I'd be any good and like my biggest fear in life is that I'm going to look stupid in front of people or that I'm not going to be good at something I really like to know that I'm going to be good at something when I do it and so when they called for cycle nine, I was texting Frankie about it and all of my fears. And he like, didn't even listen to them this time. He was just like, I think you need to stop being a little chicken shit and do it. <laughs> like that was the text, stopping a little chicken shit. <laughs> that sounds like Frankie. <laughs> yep. Having someone just be like, just fucking do it. And then you're like, yeah, what, what am I afraid of? A hundred percent. I can, I will get in my own way forever if I don't just do things. Yeah. So it was wonderful. And I'm so glad he said that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You've done the Greetings from Queer Mountain storytelling show. So I do know this piece of information. um, If I remember correctly, you're from Idaho. I am. Born and raised? Born in Laramie, Wyoming. And uh, we moved to Idaho before I was cognizant, probably when I was one, my family moved to Idaho. Are you from like a small town, suburb, big town? Like, What was life there? I'm from Boise, which is the big town. And God, I wish I knew what the population was. Like I have a guess, but I don't want to say it because it'll either be like way too many or way too few. (laughs) So I'm from Boise, which is the capital. And what was life there? Boise is just gorgeous. Boise is in a valley and it's mountains and it's clean and there's a thousand recreational things to do. So I grew up skiing and snowboarding and hiking and swimming in clean rivers. Whenever I look at the Mississippi, I just, uh, (laughs) that's the thing I I miss the access to like safe environment, you know, like everything here is like, well, there's a lake, but you can't fucking swim in it. So Boise is beautiful and it's very white and heterosexual. And I hate saying that, right? Because there are queer people in Boise, of course, and there are queer people I know. But in my experience, there weren't very many out queer people. And this is the big city, right? So like, everywhere else in Idaho is feels more restrictive. I mean, I grew up in Los Angeles, but I grew up in a very actually Mormon area. And it was very red part of of California. And I didn't know any queer people growing up. Like Mm -hmm. I didn't have any, you know, adults that I uh, knew that were queer, even you know, there, there was always like kids talking shit at school, but it was just like, you didn't have that real life, not even role model, just somebody to look at and say like, this is a a way that people exist. Right. I didn't, Idaho is also heavily LDS and Idaho itself is very conservative. Although Boise is kind of that blue dot. Growing up, I knew my mom's friend until I was about, I don't know, nine was gay. And I remember him and spending time with him, but not necessarily connecting with that part of him. I was thinking about this this morning, like, did I really not know any queer people? And he I did know him. 
but truly there was one person. And then once I went to high school, there, there was nobody out and queer in my high school. We didn't have like an elder community that connected with younger kids. I didn't, I didn't know anyone. And it's interesting though, because in high school, I remember my friends and I would be like, <laughs> my friend Melissa, I, I was home like a year and a half ago and she pointed this out we were in high school we were always what are we we're we're not jocks we're not popular but we're not not popular we're not the theater kids like who are we and like a year and a half ago she said we were like the queer kids like we were (laughs) like not all of us but quite a few of us and somehow we found each other and really never talked about it but found each other anyway which is kind of incredible yeah and that's great that y'all still talk Yeah. 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 I was thinking the first person who ever... So I never thought that I might be gay. I always thought, I hope people don't think I'm gay. So I started working at a coffee shop when I was 14 and a half, which is the age you can start working in Boise. And so I remember like I was a dishwasher, just like there was this... I don't know why I'm telling this story right now, but there was this bicycle shop next to the coffee shop. And there were all of these men who worked there. And the coffee shop was predominantly women. And they would all talk about how cute those men were. And I remember just being like, you have to talk about how cute you think they are, because otherwise, they're gonna think you're gay. Not that I am, you know, just that like, they're gonna you gotta you gotta fall in line, you gotta do that. That's the thing we do. I know that exact feeling. (laughs) I used to literally I was like, once a year, you have to pick a guy to have a crush on and I would just pick somebody you know and just be like well he looks harmless and nothing will probably happen so him but that way I could participate in the socialization that was happening around me yeah oh my gosh yeah I know about picking like the most harmless like <laughs> probably nothing's gonna happen with that guy and it's fine and I can just talk about what a big crush I have on him forever but in I don't know probably in sophomore year I was in the car with my friend Michelle and she was the first person she knew she see now I'm finding holes in my my life story but I remember we were driving in her car and listening to the yeah yeah yes and we were at a stoplight and she was like I I want to tell you I'm bisexual and I think you're gay and I was just so taken aback. <laughs> I was wow. so taken aback that anyone could think that about me. I was like, oh, that's wonderful for you, but certainly not. Thank you. <laughs> wow. She just put that right out there. She just decided for you. <laughs> she did. <laughs> she, I mean, she knew. She knew. <laughs> if you're looking for a backpack, or if you're not looking for a backpack, but now that I said backpack, you're like, ah, oh, maybe I should get a backpack. Look no further than Gaston Luga. Gaston Luga is a Swedish company that makes the most amazing backpacks. Myself, I have the Campus in blue, and it is so cool, and it's comfortable, and it's easy to use. Sometimes backpack straps get stuck. The, the adjustment hurts. They pinch you. Not Gaston Luga. Their products are amazing. They're made with great materials, and they're easy and affordable. Right now, we have a 15% off discount code. Uh, through Near and Queer to My Heart. So when you go on there, gastonlugo.com, when you log out, use Near and Queer, and you'll get 15% off your purchase. Also, through June, through the end of June, they're including a blue card holder with every purchase. So check them out. Well, they'll be on our social media. You can see my stylish backpack, and we can be buddies. All right. Thank you, gastonlugo.com. So I usually ask this question, I'll, I'll ask it the way I usually ask it, but it's it's a coming out question, but I kind of ask it in like layers. So it's like, when did you, number one, come out to yourself? When did you start coming out to like friends and family? And then when did you start coming out to just the world in general? Yeah, so I, I, uh, this is like, I feel a little bit, I feel sad about this, I think, still, because I would kind of have secret relationships with women, but, and it sounds like crazy to say, but like, I wasn't out to myself at that time. I don't, it's, it, there's a real cognitive disconnect between sort of what was happening in my life and um, what I thought about myself. And so, yeah, I had a lot of secret relationships that were just, I I don't even know what I thought about it at the time. It's so strange to look back at. So 
I think I just thought like, this is okay for now, but I'm going to find a man to marry like you do. And so I came out to myself. I developed this crush on this woman, a woman that I knew. And I don't know, we like went on a road trip together and made out or whatever. And she was like, um, that was really great. I think that, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to hang out more, but I can't do it unless, unless you're out. And I don't know why that was the moment, because I think that there had been people who wanted me to come out prior to that, but sort of that was the moment. And I was, I was old. (laughs) I was um, 24, 25. I wish that I, I, I'm jealous of people who, you know, who are out their whole early 20s. Mine were such kind of a mess and filled with so much turmoil around this. So it's 24 or 25. And so at that point, I started coming out to friends. And they were, I don't know, there were two camps of friends, right? There were like the friends who I had, who knew about my life. And they were like, Right, we know that's that's a thing that you've been doing for a while. Really, like, um, we have that we have that memo already. <laughs> and then there were oh gosh, my friend Carrie. I God, when I look back on this, it's just like so kind of embarrassing still because I um I called her. She was living in New Orleans here already, and I called her and I prefaced the conversation with. I have something to tell you and it's horrible. And I used to tell that story and laugh. And then it's like, but when I look back at it now, it's like, oh no, that's sad. Like I really, it was this part of myself that I really feared and I really ran from. And I, I don't know if I outright thought people weren't going to accept me. No, I, I, that's definitely what I thought. I thought people weren't going to accept me. And I thought that And I'm a person who has spent a lot of their life trying to be accepted and be loved. And so that was really scary, the idea that this thing could make me less lovable. And so, yeah, so I told, that's kind of, that's when I started coming out to friends and family. I told my sister, we were living together at the time, and my sister's the best person in my whole world. (laughs) And, uh... I was, I went into her room and I, she was putting on makeup and I told her and she didn't put her mascara down. Like she kept putting on her makeup and she was like, (laughs) okay. And I was like, Rachel, I need you to say something. And she was like, yeah, that's fine. (laughs) Rachel, I need you to look at me right now and talk to me about it. And she was like almost annoyed, not annoyed, you know, but she was like, yeah, that's great. That's fine. I don't know. It's, it's interesting it, how I thought it would go in my head and then how how it kind of actually went were two di- very different things. Yeah, it's interesting because that's kind of like the reaction that I did like when, when I came out. Because I came out around 23 as well. So, you know, I understand that because I used to think like, oh, I came out so late. And then now I look, you know, you hear these stories of like 70 year olds coming out. Right. And just like, you know, you come out when you're ready and when it's time. And, you know, of course, anytime you come out like in your 20s and you were like I I knew from a very young age I could have I could have could have could have but you weren't you know it wasn't the time and you know you had to be emotionally you know ready for that but I I think that's the ideal reaction is someone just being like okay can we get back to what we were doing like (laughs) but I think also we've built it up so much because like I'm not not speaking for you but like I know for me I like I built it up so much that I partially was disappointed by those reactions right right yeah, I think that, uh, yeah, you expect kind of something bigger to happen, maybe. <laughs> but then it's also good that it, it doesn't. <laughs> totally. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's lovely to, oh, yeah, I'm thinking about what my partner at the time, Shannon, said to me. She said, if you, you can, you don't have to come out. And if you don't come out, you're not giving people the opportunity to fully love you. And it was really wonderful for the people who were supportive of me. It was like really wonderful to be seen finally, you know? Yeah. So I think about that person, like people who don't come out until they're 70 and how 
difficult it was for me to not be seen for so long and how difficult that must be. Yeah, absolutely. Were you raised in a religious family? I wasn't. So let's see. Oh, wait, I want to quickly say, so I didn't, I really... When I came out, like I still lived in Idaho, right? And so the strange thing is, is people like my sister were super accepting, but people around us really by and large weren't, like they weren't outright hateful, but there were places we certainly wouldn't go, things that we wouldn't do, right, in public. And so I think that that, so my sort of coming out publicly looked very different. And even when I moved to New Orleans, I, when I first moved to New Orleans, I started working at Grace House. And I think that the people there, the people there definitely would have been just fine with me being out, but it wasn't something that I shared with people. Um, And so it's been like a very, really very long process for me to be out and out in public. And it really took until probably 30. So that's my, that's my answer for that. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of why we ask it in layers, because it's, it's not a simple question. And for some of us, it's still, you know, I know, for me, it's still a choice in in any situation that I'm in, whether it's something I'm going to disclose, whether I'm going to hold my girlfriend's hand in public, any, especially like work situations. It's like, I I don't want to, I want to be true to myself, but I also have to be mindful of the situation and what's going on. Yeah, I, I get that. And I think that is interesting. Like even now, sort of when you do disclose, when you don't disclose, it's such a, it's such a strange game. And I am, it's one of the reasons I'm really grateful for our community and specifically like for the always family because there's it's such a beautiful and supportive bubble for me and I think for other people where we can really just be ourselves and it's kind of shocking to me when I step outside of that bubble and people aren't as warm or welcoming it's a surprise sort of to be jolted back to real life yeah absolutely I mean always is you know I I talk about it all the time on the podcast because that's where we have the greetings from Queer Mountain show um, that's where there's a ton of drag and burlesque and alternative performance of all kinds. And it is, you know, as always, it's A-L-L ways. And that's how it is. Anyone who comes in, the bartenders are amazing. Celia, the owners, like you just, you do feel like it's family there. Like I know Olive Garden's like when you hear your family, but they don't, they don't know shit compared to the always, all I'm saying. <laughs> Yes. Oh, I miss it. <laughs> so I didn't grow up in a religious family. My my mom and her family were Jewish, but she wasn't practicing. My dad's family is Irish Catholic and they my grandparents were really pretty religious, but he growing up we would sometimes go to church, but not too often. That's interesting. Jews, I didn't know uh, us Jews were in Idaho. <laughs> I know. <laughs> we're not we're not big on any of the outdoorsy things, I'll tell you. <laughs> you know, when you're mentioning all the stuff you missed about growing up, I was like, I I'm the lesbian that you know how many times I get asked to go camping? It is an <laughs> insane amount of times that I have to tell people no. And the reasons why I don't like camping and they're always shocked and upset with me for it. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, what are some of the reasons? Well, I hate bugs. Um, Uh I refuse to pee outside. I'll just put it this way. The last time I went camping, I slept in the car. And uh, in the middle of the night when I had to pee, we actually had bathrooms at this camping ground. And in the middle of the night, I had to pee and I woke my friend up and I made her go with me. I'm just not built for the outside. (laughs) I don't know how well I'd fare today. I feel like now when I do outdoors things, with my friends we're adults so we get to get a cabin you know I like a cabin moment I don't know if I can sleep on the ground anymore yeah I would I would do some glamping but as I need a lot of bug spray and I don't want to go on any hikes and I (laughs) don't know what kind of flower that is like I just I will I will never know you could tell me I'm gonna forget in five minutes oh my god or birds (laughs) people like Uh, my whole life people have pointed out birds and they can name what they are or they like They'll point up at a bird and ask me if I see it. And I don't know if there's something wrong with my vision, but like so many times I've lied and said, oh, yeah, it's good. Yes, I love that. I don't fucking know. I don't know. It's the most beautiful bird I've ever seen. (laughs) Like way on the horizon. I don't know. I've got bad vision. Yeah. So uh, graduate high school. Did you um, go to college in Idaho? I did. I went to the University of Idaho, which is six hours away up north just for two years and then I came back 
came back to Boise and went to Boise State University. I moved back down to Boise and was going to school, but didn't know what I wanted to do. But I started, I had a friend who volunteered at the homeless shelter and I started volunteering there with her and talking to other social workers there. Yeah. And then I enrolled in social work classes. And when I found it, it was incredible. It was the it was the most perfect fit for me. I couldn't believe something existed that felt so perfect. That's really great. I mean, a lot of people are still searching for that and, you know, spend most of their lives searching for for that where they feel, you know, that connection to their work where work doesn't feel like work. Yeah. And I think that it's on the best days, it feels like good work. It's also I'm a person who Uh, really works in extremes. And so I think that there have been times that I've gotten really burnt out with it. But I think that as a profession, it's my favorite thing in the world. It looks at people and tries to, you know, help them achieve their goals, whatever they are. And that's my favorite thing. I love talking to people. I love talking to people about what they want to do and helping them sort of brainstorm to get there. It's the best. <laughs> and so I, I also I work at a nonprofit and I have, uh, you know, a pretty heavy day job. And I know for me, sometimes I feel like I, I love what I do. I tell people all the time, I say I love my job. I wish it didn't exist because I wish, you know, it wasn't needed in that way. But as far as as how you navigate from the daytime to the to the performing um, and to staying in that creative space, I know some days I'm so burned out, I can't even think about doing comedy, but then I'll push myself to do it. And I'm so glad that I did. And other times I, you know, I don't talk about my job on stage. I try to like compartmentalize and kind of leave that where it is. But a lot of times I think about, you know, folks that don't have, they don't have a day job so they can spend that time and that headspace being creative, which, you know, a lot of times I would like to do, but then I'm also like, I'm not the kind of person that couldn't not do my job. Right. So... That makes a lot of sense. I'll say that I am for the past year and a half on a break from direct client services. Um, It's a huge and that's sort of the amount of time that I've been doing drag. And so I don't one of my big fears about going back into direct client services is not having enough time and not having enough brain space because working Working directly with people is a lot. And I think that I I get that certainly. I work at the Tulane School of Social Work right now. So certainly like I'm working 40 hours a week. There's a lot of brain space devoted to it. But prior to taking that job, I was working with folks in recovery. And so there are all sorts of things that clients face and all sorts of things that I'm sure you know people face every day. And it's one of my big fears is knowing how to juggle all of that. Yeah, absolutely. Did you go directly from Idaho to New Orleans? Was there any stops along the way? I did. When I got my graduate degree, I wanted to, well, I wanted to live in New Orleans from like the first time I visited. I can't remember. I was one of those people, you know, I can't remember what year I visited, but years that I wanted to live here. And there was always something, there was a relationship or there was school or something sort of holding me back. And then when I graduated from grad school, none of those things existed. And so I packed everything into my um, Ford Explorer at the time. And <laughs> my, I'm sorry, my stick shift Ford Explorer. Uh, I moved down here and I lived on my friend Carrie's couch for three months while I figured it out. So I'm really lucky that I got to do that. That's a big move. You know, like, it's nice that you had a friend here already but like to take your whole life just pack it up and just go like I I love that I love it but you know that's 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 a lot it's huge I was really ready I love and miss my friends back home so much but we were on really different trajectories they were all getting married and having kids at that point or had been married with kids and that just wasn't my life and I didn't feel like I fit in and I didn't, and there wasn't a queer community and I didn't know that I was missing that, but I was missing it. So I, yeah, I was ready for a big change and I didn't know what it looked like, but it was exciting. I don't know if I could do it right now, but it was exciting at the time. 
Well, we're, we're definitely glad that you're here. I'll ask you just one more question. Well, two more questions before we wrap up, uh, because I feel like it would be remiss not to mention that you were the winner of Mix Pageant Pageant. Because it used to be Miss Pageant Pageant, and then obviously they've had to uh, update it. You won the latest. It's an amazing, it's at uh, One Eye Jacks in New Orleans. It holds up to uh, like 400 people. It's huge. It sells out. And it is just the best of the best in the drag community coming through and just it's just amazing what y'all produce you have videos on this giant screen and backup dancers and costumes that are exquisite and music uh holden doves had a motorcycle on stage like it's just there's so many amazing things to it and and you're the the most recent winner so congratulations um thank you on that and i was just wondering what that whole experience was for you and how it's been you know since that because I know people like Joe, you know, we uh, when I see you in shows now, uh, people, it, it always comes up in your list of credits. And I think some people like to kind of joke about it, just have a little fun with it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that earlier I said that my biggest fear is looking stupid. And I always have to remind myself, and like, don't take this the wrong way, but drag is stupid, right? Like it's <laughs> wonderful and important and it's my community and it's not serious or you know that's what you're doing you're entertaining not only an audience but yourself yes um and so I love when people sort of rip me about it specifically Hexorcist loves to say that I stole the crown from him which uh (laughs) I was I was on FaceTime with him the other day and I was doing my dishes and I said oh hold on and I went and put my crown on to do dishes which is probably the (laughs) third time in my life I've worn my crown Um, So I love that. So the experience, the experience doing pageant was all it's all of the things I feel about drag all the time, right? It was like, exciting. And I loved being in this creative space. And I was like, sort of at times dangerously obsessive about it. And it was terrifying because I never know how people are going to respond. And I think that doing pageant was, for me, it was affirmative validation that what I'm doing, it never feels very, sometimes when I'm coming up with these things, they don't feel interesting or subversive. And so I wonder if they will be interesting to other people. And so doing pageant was really lovely because it made me realize that people do connect with that character and with these ideas. And I'm really grateful for it because going into drag, I didn't, I, I had a whole, whole different idea about who that character would be. And Nathan Lane Bryan is in a lot of ways, and I didn't mean for this to happen, but in a lot of ways, he is my my grandpa, who was my favorite person in the whole world, who was the kindest man I knew. And I I want to see more portrayals of masculinity like him. I, I miss him and I miss his energy. And I, I, I didn't realize it until my mom said it one day, but I think that I really channel him in Nathan Lane Bryant. So The fact that people connect to him is really beautiful because I feel so connected to him and to my grandpa, who he is in a lot of ways modeled after. So pageant was wonderful and strange, and I didn't expect to win. And also pageants are a weird thing because I think that everything everyone brought was amazing. All of those performances are amazing. And so... For me, more than winning, it was about feeling that love for the community and also like getting to see super kick-ass things that my friends created. I loved it. I had I had so much fun watching everyone's performances. I don't know if that yeah. answers the question. <laughs> it was amazing. And I, I actually had the opportunity to kind of be backstage helping folks out, which was also like everyone was in the same dressing area and working together and helping each other. Oh, you know, I, I need a button. I need this. Everyone was, it was so great to see that piece of it kind of get that little sneak peek. But also, I, I just remember when I was watching it, I was very stressed and thankful I wasn't a judge. Because <laughs> I was just right. like, I don't know how they're going to decide this. Like, everything is phenomenal right now. And but I, everyone was wonderful. And you're because uh, you were the last one up. Hmm. And it was just such a high at the end of the at the end of the show. And I really, really loved that performance so much. Oh, it was so fun to create. It was so, <laughs> so, so fun. I 
Yes, I loved it. I loved every detail of it. And I loved the best thing for me. Okay, so the best thing about performing, honestly, I like the stage fine. But the best thing is being able to be backstage with everyone and hang out and like, see the kick ass shit they do. Like, I love it so much. So I was glad that I was the last because I just because I got to watch all of my friends kick ass. Yeah, that's, that's good. A lot of people would be nervous about being last. But for me, like when I do comedy, and you know, it might be different for you. I, I don't I hate going first, because I kind of like to feel the vibe of the show, kind of right. get that I can feed off the energy of other performances of the audience response, even if it's bad, like I'll still it still helps calm me in some way. For sure. Yeah. But I think that winning's been like an interesting thing too, because I, because I think that New Orleans is really accepting and lovely and there are diverse shows and we have a long way to go. And so it was also interesting after, I have to think about how I want to say this. <laughs> I'm really grateful to be a part of the King community in this city. And I think I know for a fact that there are producers who won't book kings for certain shows. And so I think that winning pageant for me was a moment. If anything, it feels like a platform to like do more. And in fact, before COVID, Holden Doves, another drag king, and I had a whole a plan to do five Gulf Coast shows in 2020. And we had like our first two booked because it was like, if there are so few Kings in New Orleans, there can't be that many Kings in the rest of the Gulf Coast. Like let's, let's tour around. Let's see what this looks like and bring this to other people. So I think that for me, winning pageant is just about trying to have a little bit more visibility that we are a part of the community. And for the most part, I feel like a total and complete part of the community. But I think that visibility matters and representation matters. And if I hadn't stumbled upon Napoleon doing that number that one time, I wouldn't have been able to connect. And I wouldn't, I, you know, it, it has to be something that's presented to you in order for you to be able to connect. I hope that makes sense. No, I mean, I get it. And you are probably the Napoleon for so many people that you're unaware of, you know, and especially after the, the one eye Jack's performance. So I, I just think it's wonderful. I, I, yeah. I love, I love everything about it. Okay. I know I said two more questions, but for real one question and then one, I guess half question, half open-ended answer, because I think, you know, this is something that I've haven't had a chance to ask you. Cause I, I always felt like it'd be weird to ask you at a bar, but I, I love the name Nathan Lane Bryant. How did that come? Was it, did it just pop up in your head? How did you come to that name? So I didn't come to the name. Vin Santos came up to me one night and like sort of clasped his hands and said, I have something. I have a name and you don't have to take it. I understand if you don't take it, but I think you should take it. But if you don't take it, someone else can take it. And he said, Nathan Lane Bryant. And I loved it immediately. I also think that being a performer of size is something that I feel really happy about. And so I don't know, I kind of thought about that. Like, do I want like a reference to Lane Bryant in the name? And it's like, yeah, I've been there have been so many times in my life that I've been really ashamed of my body. And I'm in a space where I'm not. And so it felt like the perfect name. Also, I love Nathan Lane. It's just, it was it was a perfect storm. And I'm super grateful to Vin Santos for giving it to me. If he's listening, it was amazing. <laughs> yeah, I know it's, I, I love a good, you know, before and after for sure. And this, like, I feel like it just fit, like Nathan Lane has such a, a persona that when you hear that already, you're like in a good space. You're like, he's happy, he's funny, he's, you know, fabulous. It's just, it's just, it. It makes me happy, the name. So, you know, I, it even makes me happy that it was a, a gift from from somebody else. Like having that name as a gift is a beautiful thing in and of itself. Yeah, I agree. And you're right about Nathan Lane. Like he, he sort of brings the good feelings. And yeah, yeah, I love that. Like, and I appreciate this is our experimental episode. The first time that I'm, you know, doing this through a computer and not being able to be in the same space with the other person. And thank you, Nathan Lane Bryant, for being patient <laughs> with all the technical stuff. You know, we are, we're in a weird time right now. Um, I know unprecedented is is the word folks are using. And we don't, we don't really know what's going to be happening in the future. So I kind of wanted to 
to leave this episode, if you just had any kind words or advice or something that's making you happy right now, or maybe a new hobby that you've started that is just bringing joy to you that you might want to share with folks. Well, I'm a person who struggles and will always on and off struggle with mental health. And so I have been still going to therapy once a week, which is incredible and has been really, really important to me through this time. But things that are making me, gosh, things that are making me happy are, well, I adopted a dog. (laughs) I can't believe I haven't mentioned him. Leave with that. (laughs) I know, he's looking at me like, you forgot. Um, I've never had a dog ever. And so it's, I didn't, I don't know. I can't believe I love him so much. I had, you know, people are so into their animals and I think people's animals are fine. And there are a couple that I really like, but I've never been like an animal person. And I'm so deeply in love with this dog. It's out of control. He's like saving my life right now because I think that right now this could be a moment in my life where I don't get out of bed and I have to get out of bed every day to walk him, you know? And it makes him so happy that it makes me happy, you know? And so it's like this really lovely give and take. And I'm really grateful for him. Um, But also remembering and finding new ways to connect with the community has been just really lovely. So I've been leaning pretty hard into that. I've been like really hitting people up for FaceTime and connection to me is what life is all about. And so... I have to connect with people every day and it looks different than than it usually does, but I've I've really been making that a priority. Also, I've been rhinestoning a lot of wig heads, so <laughs> <laughs> those are the things I've been doing. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds that sounds they all sound wonderful. I, I did you know, I I saw the dog. Congratulations on, on having a baby. I don't like to say fur baby, that's your baby. He's just so perfect. I will claim him any day. all right well uh can you let the folks know um how they can find you on social media my instagram is nathan underscore lane underscore bryant and you can find me at nathan lane bryant on facebook all right well thank you so much for joining us here and i don't know i'm just so happy that we were able to do this so thank you so much for being a part of the podcast thank you for having me hopefully we'll you know be able to connect online and otherwise and then soon enough you know we'll be able to see each other again we will i believe it thank you to nathan lane bryant for sharing their world with you special thank you to jessa fallon and ryan golub for your help producing and editing the podcast you can find us on all social media so come and hang out at twitter we're at queer to my heart at instagram and facebook near and queer to my heart If you're old school and email, nearandqueertomyheart at gmail.com. Say hi. We can't wait to hear from you. Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll see you soon. Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.